Hello and welcome to the Yet Again podcast. I'm your host, Joe, and today I'm here with one of our writers, Ruth Barnett, MBE, to talk about her piece, Reflections on Genocide and Racism. Hello, Ruth. Hello, Joe. It's nice to be invited to come and talk. I always like talking. I like challenging people to think. I don't tell people what to think. I just throw ideas out and challenge them to think about them. So be that the perfect introduction to everybody listening, go away from this podcast and do something about it. Learn, think about different ideas that are discussed. Um, We're hoping we're going to have quite a wide range in discussion. Um, Your piece covers a lot um, to do with, in particular, genocide and I think human nature. Um, And just before we begin, I'd like to say that Ruth's piece can be found on our website um, under our posts tab. So, Ruth, the first thing I want to, the question I want to put to you is actually a question you start with, and that is, how civilised are we? Well, the answer I immediately give in my piece is a really civilised race would not allow war and genocide. And I try to trace back where I think it might have gone wrong. Um, Human nature, which you mentioned, is a really magnificent thing that we inherit. A wide variety, an enormous variety of potential. Enough to get us by in any situation we might find ourselves in, as a race. Adaptiveness. And um, we needed aggression and violence to start with. When we first came down from trees, uh, we had to fight for our existence against predators, lions, tigers, cougars, wolves, all the lot. We have now mastered all our predators except ourselves. More people are killed by people than by any other living being. Why do we keep up aggression and violence? It's exciting. And I think we have to admit it's exciting before we can take a step forward towards civilization and control our excitement at violence and war and killing and find excitement elsewhere. So that's actually one of the things that you speak about is this idea that our development, our evolution at the moment is barred by ourselves. We are the ultimate barrier um, to the human race becoming more civilised. And really your piece looks at, I think, human nature um, and this idea that it is almost innate to be in some way violent or murderous. Um, So what would you say to that? Is it innate within um, the human race to be violent or is that just something we've grown up to learn? Um, I often ask people to imagine uh, a baby that is born into um, 
a loving atmosphere, a wanted baby, a baby that's been talked to long before it was born, has been cuddled long before it was born, has already uh, experienced something nice holding it in, and then a good birth uh, coming out into holding hands, being put on the mother's breast, and feel, uh, absorbing a feeling that the, the baby has come into a nice place that wants it there and will look after it and, and consider it important. And compare that with a baby who was never wanted, um, never cuddled or talked to, but was experienced as a nuisance or a bit of a nuisance. Uh, preparations were not well made for the birth and um, the baby's a nuisance and looked down on and uh, not treated very well from the word go. There you have the beginnings of two different worlds that these two babies will grow up in. I think that's key and one of the things you spoke at most really is this idea of sameness and difference. The one baby would perhaps look at the world as different but in a good way, a welcoming way. The other would see difference as a threat. Um, do you think there is a way to recognise this sort of duality between sameness and difference? Um, there are many dualities and we do have difficulty with dualities. Um, we have difficulty with difference. Um, a certain amount of difference is interesting. Too much difference becomes a threat. And um, on the whole, we do not manage threats very well, very sensibly, very constructively. Put that together with um, the development of greed and power and dominance and um, things go badly wrong and have gone badly wrong in the past. But we've actually made enormous progress. Even with violence, we've made progress. Um, who was the writer who, can't think of his name at the moment, but who analysed um, the proportion of human beings who died at the hands of other human beings has steadily gone down over the centuries since the human race began. That is an achievement. The trouble is we have also developed enormous um, weaponry and uh, one nuclear weapon um, setting off one or two others would com could completely wipe out the whole planet. So you're up against um, science has given us, science and technology have given us so many things that could benefit the human race, but some people always come and 
turn it to abusive, usually self-interested means. So the question, um, it may seem simple, but also I think it's quite a challenging one, is how do we go about reconciling that? Well, um, I'm an educationist. Um, I had a good education myself, uh, and I was a teacher, secondary teacher, for 19 years, and I've never lost my interest in teaching. And I think we need a very serious overhaul of the whole of the education system and the whole attitude to education. Um, we've already experienced that the more educated people are, um, the more uh, they take an interest in the positive side rather than the negative side. Unfortunately, um, this doesn't um, rely on education uh, completely because, for example, the top Nazis were all highly educated people. Uh, what gets into the system that um, uh, subverts education is ideology. And we tend, uh, we, the human race has a great um, uh, taste for um, ideologies. Uh, we are rather gullible. And a well-put ideology will take people on board. Unfortunately, a lot of misinformation and conspiracy theories uh, also uh, will uh, be taken on board by gullible people. So I think um, human nature, our inner selves, is out of sync. We are out of sync with ourselves. We have advanced in um, physical and uh, technological cognitive ways way, way beyond our emotional and spiritual development. And that, I think, has disoriented us and put us out of balance, out of sync. And we need a different sort of education that is not training young people to pass exams. That's not education, that's training. And a lot of our education system and time is, in my opinion, wasted on training rather than developing skills, particularly the um, kinder skills of compassion and um, forgiveness and uh, making effective relationships, trusting, above all, the skill of critical thinking. That is what we lack on the whole. Some of the better schools are doing this anyway, but I don't know of any school, I hope there are some, that live democracy 
from the word go, from the time that a child enters. Because I see our democracy in grave danger. Uh, not enough people engage with democracy. If you ask uh, a random sample of people uh, what meaning democracy has for them, I'm pretty sure an awful lot of them will go no further than occasionally voting. And sometimes not bothering even to vote. I think really you've hit quite an important point in there. There was a, there was a lot there, so I'll try, I'll try and unpack it. And I think the first came down to this primary idea of education. And what I immediately thought of is Hans Frank. Um, Hans Frank was obviously responsible for the, uh, the general government in Poland during the Holocaust. And there's this idea that he was an exceptionally educate, educated man, you know, a top lawyer who enjoyed arts and the theatre and could play piano. And we, I think, struggle to recognise that someone who is clearly not only educated but cultured is also equally responsible for the worst um, genocide we have seen um, this past century. And I think it really comes down to, as you've said, not just education in terms of things we think that matter, but ultimately basic human skills, compassion being one of them. Um, do you think that this is something that it practically can only really be developed in the UK with a, you know, a real concerted effort? Or do you think this is something that will naturally spread across the globe over the coming centuries? Uh, I wish I could answer that in the affirmative. Uh, but it's, we are at a very uncertain point. We really have left it very, very late um, to cherish our environment, which sustains us. Uh, we're at the brink of it breaking down if we don't uh, seriously alter our lifestyles. And we also have allowed violence and uh, um, domination, power, to go too far out of control. Um, I think of the human race as the most dysfunctional family of nations, the most dysfunctional family that has ever been a family. We do not trust each other. We cannot trust each other. We have broken trust so much and so completely, we are a danger to ourselves. And that needs to be acknowledged, taken to heart, um, made part of our thinking as a starting point. And I think there are too few people who are prepared to go down to that level to start repairing the damage we've done. I hope it's not too late. I won't be around much longer to see what happens, but I have two very precious grandchildren and I really would like their grandchildren to have a comfortable life on planet Earth.
but there is no certainty. We have made pretty much a mess of the world, my generation, and the next couple of generations. Your generation and those coming after you have still got a chance. I hope you're going to take it. You, Joe, certainly are doing your level best to take the opportunity in so many ways. And I really admire the movement that you and one or two others have founded and have so quickly taken off in all different directions. There is hope in the young. Well, I would add on a very personal note that a lot of that is down to you. And I know if we spoke to multiple young people that you have spoken to, you are their inspiration. You know, you said at the outset of this, um, this conversation, you challenge people to think and by Jove, you certainly do. Um, so for that, we can only say thank you. But for our listeners who perhaps haven't he he heard you share your testimony or perhaps haven't heard you speak until listening to this podcast, I'd like to ask now, you know, as a Holocaust survivor, someone who has spoken regularly about atrocity, what is your message to those listening? Yes, um, thank you, Joe. Um, it's my one aim, with the little energy I've got left, because I'm not too well, to aim to challenge the young out of their apathy and passiveness to make the move from being a passive bystander just a little something in the direction of making things better for other people to become an active upstander to not remaining passive but becoming an upstander to do something even if you can only do a tiny little bit multiplied by thousands and millions, that will change things. I did actually want to talk about Holocaust Memorial Day. You know, you and I have been to many events together and on each one, that's your key message. It's not just attend this commemoration, but actually do something going from it. Do you think that's the, the key message for Holocaust Memorial Day to commemorate those victims of the Holocaust, but also to learn from that genocide? Um, I think there is a, a definite danger that people without realizing it attend one of these superb events and leave it feeling cleansed and forgetting it until for the rest of the year until it comes around again. A sort of guilt cleansing. Um, guilt is a horrible feeling, but it must be faced. Um, I sometimes ask people, what, what do they consider as the first genocide? I consider the first genocide is written in the Bible, that God ordered uh, the tribes of Israel to take over the land of Canaan and kill off every man, woman and child. That in my book is genocide. But who actually wrote it 
And did God really want us to commit genocide and go on and on committing genocide? Uh, a lot of genocides, um, those who deny it was genocide or try to justify that the genocide was necessary, will tell you that God was on their side and they were doing God's work. I think that needs a lot of thinking about and challenging. Well, this is something I, I want you to talk about is, for me, when we think about genocide, you know, it's, it's always existed. It seems um, an atrocity that has been around time immemorial. But the term genocide and the, this concept of genocide is relatively new in comparison. Mm. And in your piece, you do talk about um, Lemkin's coining of the term. Um, do you want to expand on your thoughts on that a bit? You do discuss it in the article in some detail, but particularly in relation to the Ottoman genocide. Yes, indeed. Uh, there's clear evidence that Lemkin coined the word in relation to the Ottoman genocide of the Armenians and other Christians in World War I. But uh, modern Turkey beat the British and the French and completely rejected the treaty of Sèvres and created their own treaty of Lausanne in which they claimed there was no genocide, it was an insurrection that had to be put down, etc., etc. Now, all the countries, um, including our country, uh, who wanted to keep on the good side and do business with modern Turkey, um, sided with his story that there was no genocide. Therefore, we couldn't have Raphael Lemkin honoured as coining the word in relation to the Armenian genocide, the Ottoman genocide. So it was pushed forward, and the first time that the word genocide was internationally recognised was in 1948. And therefore, genocide deniers claim that you can't attach the word to anything prior to 1948, except, of course, the Holocaust. So there's a bit of a, a, bit of a contradiction there. Um, it is really fascinating for our listeners. I would recommend reading Lemkin, Lemkin's work. So Raphael Lemkin was a prominent Jewish-Polish legal scholar who published a book, Axis Rule in Occupied Europe. Um, in that book, he coined the term genocide as an amalgamation of the ancient Greek genos and the Latin side, so quite literally meaning group killing. Um, and in the book, he talks about these two crimes of barbarity and vandalism, and they are, Ruth, of you said, um, these were originally proposed in 1933 um, and were inspired by Lemkin's thinking on the Ottoman genocide and only came to coin the term um, when he wrote this book in Axis Rule in Occupied Europe and he brought that thinking together. So I would recommend um, listeners 
going and reading that chapter, chapter nine of Axis Ruling Occupied Europe. It's a fantastic chapter on explaining the term genocide. Now, Ruth, one of the key things that you mentioned in your article is this um, correlation between racism and genocide. And they are, of course, interlinked. Um, you reference um, Gregory Stanton's 10 stages to genocide. Uh, for our listeners who perhaps haven't come across that, would you like to explain a bit more? Um, yes. Uh, um, no genocide happens suddenly. People are always aware of the beginnings that could develop into full-blown killing in genocide if not stopped early enough. And um, Stanton decided to put online on a website the stages leading up to full-blown genocide. And this is a very good um, marker for deciding whether something is a genocide or only a potential genocide, but one that needs intervention. And the stages gradually build up. And they are very visible. The first stage is finding a target that can be made inferior in order to boost the would-be genocide dominant group as feeling superior. And so that they can project all the nastiness inside themselves onto this inferior group. And we all have nastiness inside. And a decent, well-educated, compassionate, sensible person will deal with the nasty bits inside themselves and come to accept them and gain mastery over them. But one way of dealing with it, what is uncomfortable to have inside yourself, is to shove it off on someone else so that the genocide group, the genocidal group, gets to feel superior by offloading onto a target group, which can then be vilified. That is a necessary step to get the majority group in a to get rid of them. Every known genocide has passed through this progression. So one of the key quotes, and I'll quote your article here because I thought it was really quite striking, is you wrote that the human race is far from grown up, perhaps struggling in its adolescent phase and doing a lot of damage with its crazy ideas about different races, domination and oppression of the inferior by the superior. Do you believe we will get to a point where we can fight denial, fight these um, stages towards genocide and eventually, as it were, grow up as a human race? I believe it's possible. I can't go beyond that because I can't foretell the future. But I know it's possible. We have been endowed with such a variety in our human nature 
that that is certainly possible. But unfortunately, it is also possible that we will kill ourselves off. It will be our doing. Either by environment beyond repair. It's possible for us to go either way. And I can't possibly foretell which way we'll go. It was there I was going to invite all of our listeners to consider those last words and to really consider what it is we can do going forward. So Ruth, I'd like to thank you for your time. Um, for all listeners, please, Ruth's article is on our website. You can, you can read more about Ruth's ideas and do get in touch. Um, you can get in touch with us at our social medias, which is at yet again UK on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And do give us your questions because believe me, we will pass them on. So Ruth, I'd like to say a massive thank you. And to all of you at home, thank you for listening. Thank you.